Why is it going back? Do they wish to surrender? They're heading for the canyon. They're going back to the Citadel. They know it's undefended. Bollocks. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where fortune favors the bold in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 90, which begins with a Morton Joe quietly musing to himself, and it ends with the war party firing flares. Wrapping up the week with us are two hobbits who want nothing else than to go back to the Shire. It's Norman Mitchell and Cassandra Fredrickson from the Lord of the Rings Minute. Hello. Hello. Oh, jinx. <laughs> you owe me an aqua cola. No. <laughs> Get some out of the tap. <laughs> if there's one thing that would drastically improve the Citadel, it is a series of taps as opposed <laughs> to gigantic pipes in the side of the mountain. Right. And maybe some Coke. But as we've already discussed, small taps are not as visually impressive as gigantic pipes coming out of the side of a wall. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you literally can turn a waterfall on and off. Not many people can say that. <laughs> As we kick off Minute 90, we are sitting here with a Morton Joe, and he is just rocking back and forth, quietly humming to himself as he looks at his scepter thing. In the past, I've always <laughs> called it a scepter, but it's actually his war club. And I say that definitively because back in August of 2018, the war club went up for auction through some movie props warehouse and i think there's one in london one in la and i think it's just called the prop shop auction house mm-hmm. and so they had hugh Keysburn sit down with this thing and shoot a little video where he explained how all of these little doodads that are stuck to it with what looks like bubble gum were put there specifically by hugh Keysburn as he was putting together mentally the character of immortan joe There's like a two minute video you can watch on YouTube. So I'll post a link in the listener page. But this is what it says in the description of that video. The War Club is adorned with symbols of violent victories, including a tiger's eye from India, a New York subway token, various plastic gemstones, and multiple army-themed emblems. Symbolizing Immortan Joe's power, the various mementos were personal to Keysburn, who attached them to the club while preparing for the role during the months leading up to filming in Namibia. The club displays signs of production use, including minor scratches and wear to both ends while signs of corrosion are present on some of the metal emblems. The head of the piece displays adhesive remnants from damaged emblems, and it is 48 inches long, or 122 centimeters, 4.5 inches wide by 4.5 inches deep. So it's pretty sizable, as you can see, because it's pretty big in his hands. Mm -hmm. They estimated the auction value between 10,000 and 15,000 English pounds. Wow. Do we know what it sold for? I do not. I tried to look up what it sold for at auction. Yeah. But considering that it is a literally one of a kind thing, Mm -hmm. like they didn't have seven of these just kicking around. Right. There is one that Hugh Keysburn personally made and used in the movie. That's so cool. Yeah. The seller, it might have been private information, like a private sale. Could be. I don't know how information. 
I don't know how they do it. It could have been a private auction. That's true. Because mm. I don't know how the prop store does their stuff. Like, is it open to the public? Is it invite only? I don't know. It might be like an open event, but it might still be considered a private auction. Yeah. So that people don't know who winds up with these things so that, you know, they don't get stolen. Right. It's like when you put an empty box out by the edge of the road, like everybody knows that you've got a new television at that point. <laughs> so if they're cruising around the neighborhood looking for houses to break into. Oh, OK. I'm looking for a TV like that. They have one. Window shopping, as it were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Morton Joe's humming a little song. He's got an OK voice. Yeah. He's got a nice deep register. Yeah. It's very resonant. And I think the way that it echoes through the mask just enhances it. Mm-hmm. This is like an oddly quiet moment for all of the war boys. Yeah. For like all of this whole war party in a way that's just like, is this supposed to like humanize them? What is the point of this? Like this little moment of such like solitude among them all. Yeah. Well, they're all sitting there leaning up against the vehicles Rictus has got his back to the side of the Giga Horse. The Imperators are just kind of sitting on the ground. It almost looks like they're shooting an album cover. The Doof Warrior is asleep in the hammock that holds his guitar. <laughs> okay, quick query from the three of you. Does this look comfortable, what the Doof Warrior is doing? No. You, you just said Doof. We <laughs> talked about this. I didn't do it on purpose. It just slipped out. The rest of us sound bad. I don't know, man. The Doof Warrior is like the most deformed war boy. Yeah, he doesn't have eyes, right? I don't think he does. He just does. There's just skin. It's like scarred over. Yeah. Like we haven't seen it yet, but we are going to see it at some point. Mm -hmm. Like just the way that his knees are pointed out in either direction. It doesn't look super comfortable to me. I agree. It does not look super comfortable. The soles of his shoes look in remarkably good condition. That's because he's always in the hammock. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't need to walk anywhere. He doesn't need to walk anywhere. But I think their frame of reference for comfortable versus not comfortable is very different than ours. Mm. Yeah. yeah, see, that's the thing about Converse All-Stars is they don't have a lot of good arch support. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like my would, Reebok classics. I guess it yeah. would be comfortable if you've always been hooked up to this thing. <laughs> Do you want an epic level bard? Because this is an epic level bard. Right. Oh, absolutely. Like when I think about playing as a bard in Dungeons and Dragons, like that's the kind of bard that I would want to play with. Mm, battle bard. Flame throwing guitar. Yeah. Your backup guys playing the drums for you, keeping the beat. <laughs> now, we're not going to find this out until like the beginning of next week. But the reason that everybody is just hanging out like this, chilling in the shade of the vehicles and whatnot is because all of the smaller vehicles in the war party are out looking for the war rig. Like, they didn't get out of the bog. I almost called it the green place, but it's not that anymore. But they didn't get out of the bog fast enough to catch the trail of the war rig. Mm -hmm. So they are completely lost at this point. They got no idea where their quarry is. I don't think they necessarily know whether or not they should even turn back at this point. That makes sense. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> if it's just desert. We were watching it last night in preparation, and I was just like, why are they just chilling out? And Norman was like, well, 
they lost them, right? You don't want to wander the desert forever. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. The three main vehicles that we see in these early shots are the Giga Horse, the People Eaters limo, and the Doof Wagon. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are other smaller vehicles there because we're going to see the War Boys running to them later on in this minute. But those are the largest, most gas guzzliest vehicles in the war party you're not just going to have them aimlessly driving around the wasteland burning up fuel because you will literally give the people eater a conniption yeah (laughs) yeah like he's already going to have a heart attack because he's huge and grotesque but he'll throw a hissy fit if you burn through too many units of gasoline right and they already lost the the three thousand gallons in the round trailer behind the the warwick yeah that's gone (laughs) i love that he has his book with him is, just, he the, is he the guy in charge of Gastown? Yes. Yeah. He's the bean counter that they've placed in charge of that production. His weird nose guard. What is the point of that weird, little weird nose guard? His weird nipple clamps. He's, yeah. rubbing, he's rubbing his nipple in this minute. <laughs> there are so many distressing things about the people eater. The fact that he's called the people eater. <laughs> he should be wearing a purple suit. When you look at him <laughs> sitting in his little chair thing in second 12 and you've got that one war boy that's attending to his huge gouty elephant foot everything about him is just so bothersome (laughs) his fake nose his insistence on always tending to his nipple the fact that he's got an elephant foot he has nipple clamps on Mm -hmm. yeah chain between them and then the chain goes into one of his pockets with his pocket watch? Like, is his pocket watch attached to his nipples? It's either a pocket watch or wasn't it some sort of counting machine? Yeah, I think it's a counting machine. Yeah. That looks way too heavy to be hanging from his nipples. <laughs> well, it's in a pocket. <laughs> What's that line from Mean Girls? Like, he he's, he's like the weatherman. He can tell the weather by his nips. <laughs> <laughs> There's a 75% chance that it's actually raining right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then like four people helping him up into his limo. Mm-hmm. Halfway through second 12, Joe is sitting there in close up. He's still musing to himself. And in the blurry background, just off to the right of the screen, you can see the war rig speeding along. And one of the lookouts that they've got sitting at the top of a pole shouts, war rig, that's the war rig. And he's sitting at the top of his pole and he's pointing very emphatically and what I love about this polecat is that it kind of reminds me of Road Warrior. Mm. In minute 26 of Road Warrior, there's a character named Big Rebecca. And Max brings this guy, this scout that was attacked by Lord Humongous' raiders, back to the compound. And as he pulls this guy out of his car, from the compound, you hear Big Rebecca shouting, Nathan! Nathan! It's Nathan! And I'm like, oh, gee, do you think that's Nathan? <laughs> and so in this instance, I'm like, oh, gee, do you think that's the war rig? <laughs> I love that we can see the war rig before the polecat guy saw the war rig. Mm. And Joe looks at the guy shouting first and then turns around. <laughs> it seems to take him a long time to turn around and see the war rig for himself. I mean, he's an old man. He's probably a little hard of hearing. Yeah, he's got to first look in the direction of where the sound is coming so that he can focus in on it and comprehend what's going on. And then he stands up to look and he's all like, well, what's all this then? (laughs) What's all he's saying? Oh, my God. And he waits for the Imperator with his binoculars on a stick to confirm that it is actually the Warwick. And then he's standing there and he's looking at it and it's so plain as day. Like, there's no way to hide this thing. 
mm-hmm. out in the wasteland. It's not like they've got shrubbery that they can hide behind. <laughs> it's not like they've painted it the color of the sand. Right. They can't just stop by a Sherwin-Williams or whatever. <laughs> this is, it's not Grand Theft Auto. You don't just pull into a garage. Exactly. Wait, wait 30 seconds and pull away. And then the cops stop chasing you. <laughs> the Imperator that's using the binoculars confirms that that is their war rig, the one that they are looking for. And I can only imagine how embarrassing it would be for that polecat lookout if this just happened to be a random rig pulling a tanker, that it wasn't actually the war rig they were looking for. It was just someone else. (laughs) And they go through all this effort to chase them down and they pull them over and it's like, oh, this isn't the people we're looking for at all. This is literally just some random war rig in the middle of the wasteland. I mean, they would end up taking it anyway. Still full of gas. Kill him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like those random people would be just as screwed. Like they would lose their lives and Joe would take the war rig because that's literally what he does. Mm -hmm. But it would be very akin to like in Spaceballs where they think that they've caught the main characters, but it actually turns out to be their stunt doubles. (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. Oh, jeez. They're combing the (laughs) desert with actual combs. You find anything? No. (laughs) And so as the Imperator confirms that it's them, the people eater walks up and he's like, well, why are they going back? As if it's so incredulous that they would do such a thing. And Rictus, dear sweet Rictus, with actually what I would consider a fairly plausible scenario, asks, do they wish to surrender? (laughs) As if they suddenly lost their nerve. Right. It's like, oh, we finally lost them. Let's surrender. Well, I think you're right. It is plausible because they got all the way out here where they were hoping to find a place to live and thrive and they find nothing. So what choice do they have? I mean, that was literally Cheeto's argument after the canyon. Mm -hmm. It's like, we can go back. We can say we're sorry. He'll let us live the high life again. (sighs) How crazy would it have been if Cheeto hulked out and took everybody captive and cheeto was the one that drove the war rig back to the citadel that would be <laughs> so sorry, impossible Joe, I'm sorry <laughs> they made me go i brought them all back to you well i like that the movie kind of uses that instance of her grief because that's what it is like mm. she's she's like bargaining at that point um yeah i like that they use that to kind of like in later minutes to like subvert the audience expectation too, mm-hmm. where she's just talking to Rictus later on the rig. Rictus Erectus. Yeah. Look at him. He's a beefy boy. He is. Heck yeah. <laughs> Wearing a jock strap on his face or something. <laughs> I don't know why he's got that underwear on his chin. That's his breathing apparatus, right? Because he's got tubes in his he's nose. He's got tubes in his nose, yeah. I don't think I've ever figured out exactly why he's wearing that a chin strap? strap thing. Well, a chin strap is to keep your mouth closed. Oh, that's literally what a trim strap does. Do you think that Rictus is like slack jawed? And so he wears that thing to keep his mouth closed. So the what do you call the thing that goes in the nose? Cannula. So the cannula will actually be effective. Well, no, because you don't have to have your mouth closed for the cannula to be effective. Oh, okay. But I still think he's slack jawed. (laughs) Because there's something wrong with all of them. He's got to maintain his jawline. Right, because they, they're talking about how, like, everyone's all deformed and stuff. And it's just like, look at Rictus. Right? He doesn't look deformed. No. He looks perfect just in every way. Look at him. 
Definitely got respiratory issues, though. Yeah. Or is that just your breathing apparatus because of the like the air being poison? I think it's six of one half dozen of the other. Yeah. It sounds like it could probably be both of those. Yeah. I really appreciate how quickly Joe puts together this scenario that he instantly recognizes that they're heading back towards the canyon. And as great as that is, we immediately smash cut to the people eater rubbing his nipple. And I'm like, could you just please not for like five seconds? That's how he thinks. He's just, what are they doing? (laughs) It's his thinking cap. That's his thinking nipple. Thinking nipple. And he's doing it the whole time. Like, when we have a wider shot of Rictus saying, are they going to surrender? You look to the back and the people he's rubbing his nipple. Right. That's his thinking nipple. The other one is his pleasure nipple. <laughs> that doesn't make it better. <laughs> that in fact makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. This one is for business. This one is for pleasure. So if you rub them both at the same time, is that like his superpower? Yeah. That's why they're exposed. <laughs> they say that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. It's pretty much that rubbing both nipples at once. Oh, my God. There is a point that happens later on in this movie where the people eater gets blown up and the movie instantly improves after that. (laughs) This is already a great movie. (laughs) The fact that I don't have to worry about the people eater being around rubbing his creepy nipples with his awful elephant foot. The fact that he's gone makes it better experience for me it's the fact that max is directly responsible for the people eaters death that makes the movie better yeah like take your creepy nipples <laughs> and just die in a fire he winds actually up no on he dies limo. from getting shot in the face but then he roasts in a fire he like he winds up on the limo he takes one look at the people eater and is just like i do not need this kind of negativity in my life <laughs> <laughs> hey big boy you would make an amazing human shield let's test that theory you're just so thick no bullets getting through you <laughs> So Joe shouts out that they're going back to the Citadel. They know it's undefended. And the people eater is like, ah, bollocks. (laughs) Firing out that slang. Because now he knows that he's got to run over to his limo. And it takes five war boys to lift him up into his own car. Mm -hmm. Like Joe climbs into the Giga Horse on his own. Like we don't see him getting helped. Yeah, Joe appears. How old is Joe supposed to be? 70 yeah he's a, that 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 guy there that's a spry in shape 70 year old man like he's got three imperators one opens the door for him one's up on the wheel and the other one's right next to him they're probably like bracing him but they're not like physically lifting him up like a human elevator mm-hmm. no i mean and he runs like he doesn't need any help walking over to the giga horse yeah we do see him get help walking out to the edge of his like little plaza at the beginning of the movie but He's old. It probably just takes him a little while to stretch. Yeah, that felt almost more ceremonial helping. Yeah. yeah. The ceremony of dressing him and then taking him to the balcony felt very performance oriented. Mm-hmm. So Rictus and what was the other guy? Corpus? Yeah, Rictus and Corpus are his two sons that we see in this movie. And then there is the third son that we don't see in the movie. Scrotus. Scabrous Scrotus, specifically. Wait, for real? Like, that's not a joke? <laughs> yeah, that's it's not a joke. 
Oh my god. Like, that's actual lore that Joe's oldest son that we don't see in the movie because we see him in the video game is Scabrous Scrotus. And then you have Rictus Erectus is the middle son. And then Corpus Colossus is the youngest son, the smallest one that actually runs the day-to-day Citadel stuff. Why would you name your child that? Uh, (laughs) No input from the wife? Yeah. It's like, I like my my dick. I'm going to name my kid after. Yeah, but Scabrous. (laughs) Yeah. What does he look like? <laughs> um, Is he well, a okay. wrinkled, scaly man? Yeah, picture what you th- assume someone named Scabarus Scrotus would look like, and that's pretty <laughs> much it. Just Nux's lips, the entire body. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll do everyone a favor, and I'll post a picture of him in the listener group alongside the other things that I'm tasking myself with posting in the listener group today. Just so you can see. Is that really doing anybody a favor? <laughs> it's saving someone the effort of having, right? having to uh, describe Google, them in detail. Google. Exactly. <laughs> I Google it so you don't have to. <laughs> Happy Friday. Here's a picture. <laughs> <laughs> What's great about Scabrous is that he's already intimidating enough at the beginning of the game. But then Max like attacks him with a hedge trimming sized chainsaw and it kind of sticks out of his forehead like a like unicorn, a unicorn horn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which just makes it all the better. Man. Dude, yeah, the the chainsaw warboy in this movie, that guy's dangerous. Yeah. Is... <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Considering that like pretty much all the stunts in this movie were done practically, some of the stuff in this movie is absolutely horrifying. <laughs> horrifyingly awesome i think you mean uh, it's yeah. the pole cats are the thing that i'm just like why that's because you're afraid of heights yes i would not want to live in the citadel <laughs> as soon as they said as long as you're not afraid of heights you would have been like out not interested <laughs> i'm going that way i am going to finish my free dinner i'm not <laughs> going to listen to the rest of this presentation i'm going to leave <laughs> i'm gonna take my 160 days of salt <laughs> yeah i Get such a bummer every time I get one of those mailers where it's like, come, enjoy a free dinner. And I'm like, okay, it's a free dinner, but then I have to sit for 45 minutes to an hour and have someone sell something to me. And it's not worth it. (laughs) It's not worth it. (laughs) No, just leave after you eat. Like when someone comes to your door and they're like, hey, we're vacuuming people's stairways for free. And then... When they show up, you can't just ignore them. You have to give them attention as they're vacuuming your stairway. I made that mistake once, and Julia has never forgiven me for it. (laughs) We don't live somewhere where that happens. The door-to-door Hoover man? Yeah. We don't live anywhere with door-to-door salespeople. Yeah, Julia is staying quiet on this because she doesn't want to admit that (laughs) she holds it against me. That I let a stranger no, I'm into our house. quiet because we've told this story many, many times. Have we? <laughs> Are you kidding? Yes. We have. <laughs> We're not telling it again. Okay, in my defense, how many hundreds of episodes have we done? <laughs> my life is only so interesting. <laughs> how many hundreds of episodes have you guys done? Let's see. Not as many there's, as you. There's 121 for this one. Including this episode mm-hmm. as Minute 90. We have done 385, oh, which okay. I think equals one of your movies. I know off the top of my head, we did 205 for Fellowship, and we did more than that for Two Towers. I think 220. So I think like 425, 430 altogether. So far. Not including Return. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, I think return is just going to double the numbers you already have. Oh, easily, easily. (laughs) Now, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, and I'm coming up with nothing, of any sort of similar situation in The Lord of the Rings. And the only thing that's coming to mind is not so much people turning around and going back the way they came, but someone suddenly realizing a plan. And the thing that I'm thinking of is when Treebeard discovers what Isengard has done, and it's him just kind of suddenly catching on that things are not as they seem. It's kind of like the sad, horrible version of this is when um, Denethor commands um, Faramir to go back to Osgiliath to like everyone's doom. <laughs> What's that? Send my only remaining son to die? Of course. Say no more. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> it's a bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> See if it pays off for him. Yeah, D- Denethor is kind of the, the important Joe of Middle-earth. <laughs> Lives up in a high tower, separate from everything else around him, kind of in his own worlds, willing to go to extreme measures to at get least, what he wants. At least Denethor doesn't rub his nipples when he's thinking. So. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> no, he just pours oil all over himself and eats tomatoes like a maniac. I will take crazy tomato eating over nipple rubbing. Oh, any yeah. day. Like he in the hierarchy of my preferences. Yeah. <laughs> he ruins that luxurious fur coat by pouring that oil all over himself and all over it. He too is a like a actually he's like 90. Is he? Yeah. 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 Denethor is like 90. Yeah. People have weird ages in your movies. I think Theoden is 77, I think. Crazy old men, the movie. And then Denethor is like 20 years older than Theoden. <laughs> So Joe is an idiot for leaving the Citadel defenseless. <laughs> not his brain. He's thinking with his pleasure nipple, not his thinking nipple. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So the guy is supposed to be like a decorated war veteran. He's like done all this stuff. He's mm-hmm. smart enough to figure out what they're doing. He's like a military guy. And he's just like, I've left my home defenseless. If you are a misogynist, like a serial misogynist, Women can't outsmart me. Less than a day from the Citadel is the buzzards. Yeah, what are they going to do? Where Morton Joe's hubris comes from is the fact that all of his possessions, all of his war boys, his vehicles, his crops are up at the top of the Citadel. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get to them is that elevator or a crane. He doesn't care about the wretched. The buzzards can come through and slaughter Every man, woman, and child, Anakin Skywalker style, at the base of the Citadel. And Joe is certain that they won't be able to get up into the actual guts, mm-hmm. actual inner workings of the Citadel. And he certainly doesn't care about the wretched. They're freebies. Mm-hmm. So does he think that the people at the elevator would just let Furiosa back up? Because I don't. he doesn't know that Nux is with them. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, why does he care... I think he's worried that the elevator guards would look at Furiosa as an authority, like they would somehow forget over the past two days that she's now the enemy. Like the war boys at the beginning of the movie that die only because they're loyal to Furiosa. Yeah. Furiosa could come back to the Citadel and be like, here I am. I'm done with my errand. Oh, everybody's gone. Better let me up Mm -hmm. so I can wait for them to get back. Yeah, because the people back at the Citadel, they don't really have any idea what's going on. Corpus does, though. Yeah, but, but Corpus is afraid know specifics. of Yeah, Corpus is afraid of toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. How many war pups are there? There is a There's lot so of them. There are. 
I don't think we've ever gotten a definitive count because they keep moving around so much. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of war pups and (laughs) Half-Life war boys. I love the term war pup. (laughs) The war pups. (laughs) They're not human yet. They're not useful to Joe. They're not boys. Yeah, they're not useful to Joe until they've grown up more. So they're not human. They're pups. They're pups to boys instead of boys to men. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they keep themselves entertained. They They have a karaoke night. Ah, I see. I like that idea. The Doof Warrior plays all the music. Because <laughs> they do have some sort of PA system. Joe uses it at the beginning of the movie. So why wouldn't they set that up for a karaoke night? And then it's just Joe in a in a booth up above, like Caesar at the Coliseum. And it most of the time he's just mediocre. Oh, my God. That's my most quoted line from this movie. <laughs> I love the idea of a Morton Joe as a karaoke judge. <laughs> <laughs> You are awaited. Mediocre. (laughs) It's one or the other. That cover of Journeys Don't Stop Believing pleases me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Witness him. What do you think Joe's favorite karaoke song is? Uh, I Will Survive. Oh, my God. Like the end of Shrek 2. (laughs) Or uh, Holding Out for a Hero. Yeah. Yeah, that's the end of Shrek 2. He really loves when uh, when Miss Kitty does that. Are you sure he's not a big fan of We Don't Need Another Hero from Tina Turner? <laughs> Probably also likes Tiny Dancer. Tiny Dancer. <laughs> Piano Man. <laughs> what we don't see is the that there is a war boy who is just an Elton John impressionist. It's all he does. They have all the ridiculous outfits. They're just in the back. Yeah. I think you could assemble most of Elton John's wardrobe from the stuff the War Boys and, and Joe's crew is wearing. You just have to paint it bright colors. <laughs> if there's one thing that Beyond Thunderdome has over Fury Road, it's how amazing the outfits are for the bodyguards that help out the big bad. Mm. Like Auntie's bodyguards with the mohawks and the feathers and the sports equipments. They just put the War Boys to shame. Well, yeah, Joe doesn't care how many of these guys die. They don't need armor. No, that's true. They paint themselves white, pray to him like a god, and then go get themselves killed for his amusement. Good times. Good times. Good times in the wasteland. Right, like they they totally paint themselves white. Like Nux is not white anymore in the sun. Yeah. So they must paint themselves. Here's a fun thing for the listener page. Go on there. Tell me what you think Joe's favorite karaoke song is. Because we are here at the end of the minute. In the last two seconds, we see that the war rig is speeding along the desert and there's a tiny flare that pops off in the distance. We will talk about that on Monday. But Norman and Cassandra here at the end of the episode, tell our nice listeners where they can listen to more of you. You can find us at DuelingGenre.com or at LordOfTheRingsMinute.com. We're on Facebook, The Fellowship of the Mic or Lord of the Rings Minute. Uh, We're on Twitter at LOTR Minute. And we are just getting started as of this episode posting. I believe we'll be two or three weeks into Return of the King. So that'll be a fun adventure. So pretty much nothing will have happened. That movie takes a little while to get going. Yeah, you're probably still in the flashback at this point. Uh, either still in the flashback or just getting out of the flashback. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know who Smeagol and Deagle are, the rest of the movie just doesn't make sense. <laughs> This is totally necessary. Absolutely. As for us, we will be coming back on Monday. The entire might of Joe's war party will descend on the war rig. The DAG will look for some help from Divine Providence. 
and Max will lay claim to the Razor Cola. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 90 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.